Well, let me tell you what I was doing during that delay. I put a mint in my mouth, and I never know how much time it's going to take to finish it, and I was off by about a minute, and so this all worked out good. Why I was getting fixed up, my mint was getting chewed up, and hold on, it swallowed. Okay, I think it is. Well, it's really good to see you tonight. It's a pleasure to serve you, to be able to speak to you tonight. On the table, you'll probably notice this little um, questionnaire, and on the back is the text I'm about ready to read. So it would really be encouraging to me, and I think it'd be good for you uh, if you just grab that, and in a minute, I'm going to read from it. It's a text from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. It's part of chapter 52 and all of chapter 53. And I determined, I, I think it'd be the best thing if I just read the whole thing in light of what's going to be said. So this is going to take a few minutes, and it would be a good help to me if you could just uh, prepare yourself to listen as best you can, okay? So that's a nice way of saying, please, shh. <laughs> All right? Okay, let's hear the word of the Lord. This is from Isaiah 52 and 53. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that, that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings, will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation, generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And, he, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word tonight. Would you please bow with me? We're going to ask God for his help. 
Father, we do pray for your blessing now as we take this moment that you have given us, as we've just read, and now we're going to do our best to explain and think carefully about the words which are before us. May your Holy Spirit come to our aid. Father, it's obvious that I'm in need. So we pray that as Jesus Christ is set before our minds, that you would be pleased to awaken us and show us what we really are, God, before you. And that is our great hope now as we we need help. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I got a question. It's It's a very human question in light of the way things are. And I've always been in the world. And it's a question of why. And it goes something like this. The paralyzed child, she's bound to a wheelchair. And she asks, why? Why me, God? The rape victim, the, the shut-in, the divorcee. Why? The family and friends of the 58 souls who were lost in Las Vegas. 28 souls lost in a church of all places. Why? Sometimes people ask why because of their physical pain in a hospital. It's some terrible uh, diagnosis that scary word, cancer. Why? There's a gentleman on our prayer list who's facing permanent paralysis of his legs. Accident? Why? Sometimes a husband, a wife at graveside, a a parent, a child, graveside, they have a broken heart and they ask the pastor, why? That was my dad. That was my daughter. Sometimes people ask why when their own friends their own friends turn on them. Why? And sometimes people ask why, and just to be brutally honest, in the privacy of their mind, they're in some inner hell, their fist is clenched, they're shaking it to heaven, they're angry, they're frustrated, and they look up to heaven and they say, God, why? Why has this happened? In fact, why is it always me? There's an atheist, he's very clever, he's dead now, but his name is Bertrand Russell. He expressed this uh, problem with why and why so much suffering uh, with the world. Listen to what he said. He said, I can imagine a sadistic demon creating us for his amusement. But I cannot attribute to a being who is wise and all-powerful and loving the terrible rate of cruelty and suffering and misery which marks the history of humankind. And I don't think Christians can conduct the issue. The problem of Suffering, he says, constitutes the most serious objection to, to, Christian, to the Christian faith that is possible to cite. And for many intelligent and sensitive minds, it seems an insurmountable obstacle. And this is what he says, For if God is love, as Christians say he must be and is, he must want to stop the suffering. And if he's all-powerful, as Christians say he is, he must be able to stop the suffering. And so he ends it like this. So why doesn't he? Right? God all-loving, God all-powerful. Why not stop all the madness right now, God? No more bombings, no more shootings, no more rape, murder, sickness, violence. Just end it now, God. Because you know, God, so many people walk away from you because of their why questions. But this is what I want you to know, loved ones. Our why questions will not separate us from God. God can handle our whys. Because the Bible says it's not our why questions that separate us from God, it's our sin. Which is why the servant that we took so much time to read about is someone we need to know. Because these verses are pointing to, if you would, pointing forward to the Lord Jesus Christ and His suffering and death on the cross 
for our sins. So here's the context. Isaiah is a preacher and he begins to write his answer to these why questions because he's writing to a people who hundreds of years, if you would, before the birth of Christ, were under a great thick blanket of suffering. Their their land had been taken from them, so their homes are gone. They lost everything that was precious to them. They are are victims of a tyrannical foreign power, and their faith in God is under attack. There's grief, there's pain, there's loss, there's death, and it will not let up. And then Isaiah begins to write these, these two chapters of a person who is God's servant, who's going to achieve this incredible spiritual restoration of the entire sinful fallen world. A person who's going to put an end to all suffering of any kind. And loved ones, incredibly, God's servant is going to achieve this restoration through his own suffering. So this achievement, it's not going to come from a military victory. It's not going to be a political or social movement which will win the day. No, redemption, liberation, the end of all Suffering will come only through this servant's suffering. And the incredible thing is God is the one behind it all. God is behind all his pain and all his suffering. So if you look at the text there, the first thing you're going to see is that the world looks at this servant in a certain way. And so the world looks at this servant like, you know, there's nothing much about him. His his life, his physical appearance, you see there in the opening verses, they don't make people go, wow. He's not a looker, right? In fact, we learn verses 1 to 3, 7 to 9, that he was hated and he was rejected by humanity. So he's the kind of person that was looked down on, passed, passed over. Indeed, nothing about him would cause people to take a second look. And suffering and pain was his normal. It wasn't just like a season in his life. It's essentially his whole life. So much so that it comes to a point when it's so bad, chapter 52, verse 14, you see it there, that one of the high points of his suffering is his face begins to be disfigured. Of course, this is Jesus and the beating that he took before he actually went on the cross. So he looks subhuman. There's nothing about him at that point that looks human. If you know the Lord of the Ring movies, he looks like some gargoyle. And people look away and they're disgusted. And these people, especially religious people, they would say, you know, he must have done something very, very bad to deserve such a life of punishment. I mean, heaven would never treat a good man this way. He must be cursed by God. Yeah, that's it. He must be cursed. Which was common thinking for Israel at that time. And of course, if you're thinking now, it's the way some people think now, right? Suffering means that you must have been a very, very bad boy or you must have been a very, very bad girl because... You know, that's the way God operates. But no, this guy was very good. Yet, verse 4, we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him. And of course, the irony of it all is that he never, verse 9, he never ever committed any act of violence at all. He never told a lie in his entire life. And it's making the point that, that all his sufferings are completely undeserved. And still... Humanity despises and rejected him. But he's also a figure of tragedy. Verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted. And then this is what Isaiah says. He didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. A sheep before its shears is silent. He didn't open his mouth. So if you want to talk about suffering, you want to find a person who had the right to ask, Why God? Then you look at this man. He is a true victim. The only victim really ultimately of injustice. However, it's useless, and he knows this, it's useless for him to speak up for himself because he's surrounded by dishonest men. 
men who already have a plan to condemn him. So he deliberately chooses not to defend himself from all the devilish accusations that are coming to him. And so he essentially, he walks into his doom. Verse 7, no chance of escape like a sheep headed to the slaughter. A long time ago, someone says this, he faces his adversaries in silence in a violent, unjust world which feeds on gentle souls. So he doesn't stick up for himself. Because of it, verse 8, it's a kangaroo court. It's judicial murder. He's arrested, then he's judged, and he's taken away, and he's a young man. He's still in his prime. Executed, put to death, and he will never know, verse 8, he's never going to know marriage. He's never going to know what it feels like to be called if he would, Daddy, Daddy. Verse 9, it gets worse to add insult to injury. He's assigned a grave with the wicked. Now, I want you to get all this. He's despised and rejected by humanity. He's mangled, deformed in his appearance because of the punishment he received, beat to a bloody pulp, given a criminal grave, although he was completely innocent, and he never had, verse 8, he never had a chance to have a child. And in the eyes of the world, verse 4, he's stricken and smitten. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's two different words, which gives the imagery of a person being struck, closed fist by God himself. That's how bad it is. That's what the world thinks of this man. God hates him, and so God hits him. Square in the jaw. But that's not the whole story. Because this servant, as God sees him, is completely different than how, as the world sees him. Because God sees him, verse 13 of, of chapter 52, as wise. See, my servant will act wisely. So all his reaction to all this suffering, says God, is wise. The letting down of his guard, the, the entrusting himself to God who judges justly is wise. Uh, his father from heaven says, son, don't stick up for yourself. No, don't stick up for yourself. And the son obeys and dad's like, good boy, good boy. Chapter 52, verse 13, he will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. So where the world sees uh, shame, wickedness, and failure, God sees wisdom, glory, and achievement. And at the end of, verse, of chapter 53, God tells us, I will give you, and remind you, through his suffering, I will give you a portion among the great, which means Washington and, and Lincoln and Churchill and, and Mandela and Luther will have to kneel before this servant of God. Which means this, this servant is very unique. Verse 2, he grew up before God like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. In other words, this is really beautiful imagery. In the spiritual barrenness of a wicked world where everyone has sinned, God sees his one servant as like a beautiful living shoot full of life, a tender plant pushing its way up through bad soil. And God says, this servant in all his sufferings is the world's only hope. Is the world's only hope. Okay, so here's the question if you're listening. If he's so good, if he's so precious to God, why does he have to suffer? Right, that's the question. Why does he have to suffer? So you might be here and you're going to be really, really honest and you're like, look, the kind of religious circles that I run in, the party line is essentially this. You be good, you'll get good from God. In fact, if you're better, you'll get better from God. The better you are, then the more happy you will be, the more prosperous you are, and life's going to be easy, it's going to be light, and it's going to be gay. What is that? The, they say that he's going to get under the spout where all the blessings come out. That's God's way. 
That's not happening here. This servant of God is completely innocent. He's gentle. He's precious before God. So again, why does he suffer? Well, the preacher there begins to tell us, verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. In fact, in the Hebrew, it reads kind of mean. It's like it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It was the Lord's will to cause him to suffer. God wills for the innocent, this man, to suffer. God wills for the injustice on this man to triumph. Now you're going to go, what? Yeah, because something's going to be achieved which takes place in light of this servant's suffering. And verse 10 begins to give the explanation. He will see his offspring, his children. Now here at this church... And I'm not kidding. We have a baby born about every three months. <laughs> and, and the moms here, they know the pain of childbirth. But when it's done and the baby's placed in their arms, she will tell us, hopefully, right? It was all worth it. All her sufferings were productive because look at this precious child. What Isaiah is saying, as a result of this innocent man's suffering, a new people of God are going to be birthed, a new birth, a born again, if you would, in John chapter 3. And so then when a person asks more deeply, how is this going to happen? The answer is given there, right there, verse 10a, the Lord will make his life a guilt offering. Verse 11, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will bear their iniquities. Now stay with me. Every Jew knew there was one kind of suffering and death which was not pointless. And that was the death of a lamb. So the priest would go to the temple. The hand of the priest would be placed on the lamb. The sins of the people were spoken and the lamb was put to death. And that was not a pointless death because it said that human sin was so serious that only death and blood could pay for forgiveness. And the lamb died. And that year, the people's sins could be pardoned. Indeed, for pardon to be achieved, blood had to be shed for sin. The lamb had to die, if you would, for the sins of of the people. You mean like Jesus on the cross, suffering, dying for our sins? Yeah. Once for all? Yeah. So it doesn't happen happen again? No. And that leads us then to this um, heart, if you would, of this song. So the world sees this servant as a loser. God sees him as precious and as the world's redeemer. And the believer sees him as their Savior. See verse 5 and 6. God provides a substitute for the sins of the believer. And there it is. But he was pierced. This is so familiar, right? It reads beautifully. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The, the punishment that brought us peace with God was on him and by his wounds were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, right? Nobody's innocent. Each of us, all of us, turned our own way. And what did God do? Well, God laid on this man, the Lord has laid on him, the iniquity of us all. One of my favorite books I have in my library, it's In My Place, Condemned Christ Stood. In other words, what God says, he says, look, Joe, your sins deserve suffering and death, but I'm going to put my son forward. I'm going to put him in your place and like the lamb, he's going to suffer and die for your sins. Now everybody says, Jeepers Creepers, when I die, I don't want to suffer. I just want to die. Right? Very understandable. We just want to just like, and we don't want any of the pain. But this servant, Jesus, he suffers and he dies 
like no one ever suffered and died in the history of the world. And so you ask, why? One simple answer. For our sins. Verse 5, pierced, crushed, punished for our sins, for our iniquities. Because we are the foolish sheep. We are the ones who go our own way. We live by our own rule. And this alienates us from God. And it alienates us from one another. But God in His love has laid, has laid on Christ the wickedness of us all. And that word laid in the Hebrew means made to meet. Meaning every sin from Eve until now and past now. Every sin in all of human history is laid on Christ when He goes to the cross. So let me just end by saying this. I just have one question for you. And it's right there in verse 1 if you'll see it. Do you believe this message? Do you believe this message? Because this is the only message that God gives for our redemption. And have you bowed your life down to the Lord Jesus Christ who is ultimately the message Himself? Have you ever said, now no, be honest, have you ever said anything, Jesus, I know that I deserve punishment for my sins, but I come to you now in childlike faith and believe that you are the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, who takes away my sin. So right now, Jesus, my life is yours. Something like that is a good thing to say in light of our condition. So we've been asking the why question. So the better question is not why do we suffer, but if we're going to be honest, as Isaiah explains this man, Jesus, the better question is why did he suffer? And I bet we know the answer. For our sins. So that we can be God's child forever. Have peace with God. Not because of what we do or fail to do. But because of the infinite obedience and righteousness of His Son. The suffering servant of Isaiah 53. The Lord Jesus Christ. So my cry to you tonight. Has been my prayer all week long. Know Jesus this way before the time comes when it'll be too late. I'm going to be around. If you have a question or two, I'll be happy to try to answer that for you. It's a privilege to speak to you tonight. And thank you so much for your attention. Let's pray. Isaiah 53, 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Lord Jesus Christ, have your way in the lives of all of us now to your praise and to your glory. Amen.